Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey Podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal. And I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Welcome, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Getting ready for vacation, are you? Certainly am. This will be uh, the last podcast for the summer till September. Okay. Uh, so it's been fun. Yeah, I enjoy it. Yeah. Always fun to talk hockey. And we got some. Not that, you know, we're still hoping for that final Oilers player move, but that, you know, it's probably likely around Yessa Pugliarvi. Sounding more likely that Pugliarvi's coming back. Um, so we'll see. We'll Maybe we'll, uh, if that happens, maybe we'll, we will do one more podcast. But um, in any case, there is some, some news to talk about. Essentially, people kind of assessing the season and then kind of an unexpected bombshell with Peter Shirelli. Uh, <laughs> The G, former GM of the Edmonton Oilers getting a job interview f- for the Minnesota Wild job. So it was surprising that, that Fenton, you know, Fenton, I remember all those years everyone was saying, oh, you got to hire that Fenton. He's like the guy to hire. And then he gets to Nashville or to Minnesota. He was David Poyle's right-hand man in Nashville. And he mm-hmm. gets he gets to uh, Minnesota. And, man, he had a bad year. He did. Uh, maybe as bad a year as Peter Shirelli had. Not quite. Not quite. Uh, so we'll we'll save the Shirelli thing, Bruce. Let's, okay. let's start out with... Um, just uh, kind of a an assessment of Ken Holland's summer. So we had mm-hmm. Craig Button of TSN. Now Craig Button does not pull his punches when it comes to the Oilers, and a lot of Oilers fans don't like him very much because of that. I actually find that there's usually some substance to the comments that he's the critique that he makes of the Oilers. Mm-hmm. But interestingly, he was really he came out with kind of a positive spin on um, shocking on. Uh, Ken Holland, and this was after an, uh, the NHL Network had a thing where he g- they gave the Oilers an F minus, but they were rating both Shrelly and Holland, so it was a little bit confusing. Let's just go with what Holland said. Well, so it was an average between the, the, the between C plus Sh- for Holland and the Z minus for Shrelly, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Craig Button, uh, here's some of the comments that he made. And we'll go through them uh, one by one and comment on them. Uh, on moving out Milan Lucic. By moving out Milan Lucic, it gets an unproductive player out of there. It also gives them the opportunity to have some flexibility going forward. And um, I just, uh, Bruce, uh, it's remarkable how how happy, <laughs> how happy Oilers fans are with this trade. Mm-hmm. There, was, there was a couple things, I think, driving this. They don't need Lucic's toughness. We've got Jujar Kaira, we've got Darnell Nurse and Zach Cassian. So if the Oilers didn't have a tough guy, I, I think there'd be a, a, a much larger group of Oilers fans saying, oh, you don't want to get rid of that toughness, you got to have it to protect Connor McDavid. But because we have that covered, um, I think that Oilers fans were cool with that deal. But the biggest thing was he just can't he, he just he can't play on a top, in the top 9 in the NHL anymore. Mm-hmm. I know in Calgary they're talking about him as a third line guy, but I do not see it at all. He is too slow. He he doesn't make plays in the offensive end with the puck. And the big problem with the Oilers last year was was a couple of them. But one of them was when they got behind in the game, they couldn't get sustained offensive pressure in the offensive end because their forwards were too slow to get in there and put the pressure on them. They just had four or five or six guys who were below average NHL skaters who couldn't get in there fast, especially in the the third and fourth line roles, and put that pressure on the other team in terms of forechecking. And it was just, it was painful to watch the others because you just knew they were not coming back in games unless Connor McDavid pulled it out of thin air. 
Yeah, well, Lucic, I mean, he certainly played a physical game. But, he did. And, I mean, he ranked very high in the league in hits for the second year in a row as uh, in Edmonton, uh, around 250 hits, which is a big number. But what the hit stat doesn't tell you is if the hit happened after the puck is gone and it's just sort of taking a pound of flesh out of the defenseman or if they actually create chaos and turnovers. And the guys that get in and land the hits before the puck has left the scene already. And Lucic had much more of the second type where yeah. the puck would be gone, he'd finish the check, and I mean, great, you got to finish your check. And I respected him for that because he brought that physicality consistently. But I'm not sure how effective even that part that's an excellent point yeah because that's my when I think of Milan Lucic and hitting someone Mm -hmm. it's the pucks going that way and he's finishing the check and now he's 200 feet away yeah but it doesn't like they expect (laughs) to get hit they're all paid a million dollars a year like oh whatever like yeah it's a big Mm -hmm. scary guy going to hit me now but I get a million (laughs) dollars all right Uh, on James Neal uh, Craig Button had this to say he's had one off season I expect him to return to 20 goal form so let's that's just leave that for now. Bet. We're going to get into that in a little bit. That's a huge bet. Yeah, that's a... Uh, okay, he's he's praising um, uh, Holland for not moving pulley RV too fast, mm-hmm. and that was certainly well played by the order so far. There was pressure of kind of a power play by the the agent, Marcus, mm-hmm. the very experienced and able agent of Jesse pulley RV to move out this player before the draft, and who knows what Shirley might have done. Shirley just seemed... Like so erratic in the last year and such a terrible negotiator, he might have like, like in terms of a poker player at the NHL table, Shirley was first man out of the game kind of thing. Like in the like, some people will say throughout his his time with the Oilers, his first year there was a few good moves though, mm-hmm. but uh, as well as some bad ones. But man, uh, the Puliyarvi situation has been handled well. To the and I actually think the best thing for the Oilers and Puliyarvi is for him to go to Europe next year. Well, there's no, there's no reason for the Oilers to rush on this. I mean, there are options available, and even the player has options. Uh, but barring a, um, uh, a hostile offer sheet on the player, and I have heard zero no, uh, rumblings of that kind of thing happening, um, that um, uh, the Europe is an option or coming back... Um, uh, hopefully not tail between his legs, but, you know, let's turn the page and start over with the new management. And uh, uh, the It's not impossible that he returns, but they filled the positions. Like uh, Holland is, you know, he's not waiting around saying, well, we've got this big gap at three right wing for you, Jesse, because they brought in Josh Archibald. And, you know, they re-signed a couple of guys. Chase on. Uh, they brought back Chase on. They brought back, you know, Patrick Russell from from uh, uh, from underneath. They brought in Haas, or sorry, the um, knee guard that can play either wing. So they have a working roster with or without Yesipul Yarvi. Yeah. And room barely room on the 50-man list to put him to compete for a job, and probably win it just because they don't wouldn't want to be waving this particular player. But if he if he winds up taking the European offer, it's not the end of the world. So Button ended up with this thought. He says, "I think there's more that needs to be done to to make this team playoff worthy." But he's taken the right steps to push it along, where the next moves could make a significant difference. And that's what I would say. I I, I think the right 
he didn't make any. They they were limited. They couldn't make any terrible, stupid free agent signings like you know, wow. give a massive contract to, to some guy who's thirty and heading out of his peak years. But um, I, there was lots of small, smart moves where he paid under market, seemingly paid under market in terms of term and um, contract for players like Chase on and Archibald and Grandland. Um, and brought these guys in, and, and uh, these were all smaller moves, but they were each one of them made sense. The Mike Smith, the the one move I would quibble with, I think, and I think the Lucic move was a grand slam home run, uh, getting up from under that contract. Um, and uh, the one move I would, I'm not thrilled with is Mike Smith. Hopefully, I'm wrong, but uh, a bat on a 37 year old goalie um, who's coming off a weak year strikes me as an iffy bet at best. Well, it's a one year bet. On yes. a 37-year-old goalie, at an affordable amount. I mean, you look at, uh, you know, you're not going to go out and get uh, Bobrovsky, obviously, but uh, they're not paying 70 million for Mike Smith either, are they? I mean, it's one year, and if if he doesn't cut it, I mean, potentially even Shane Starrett could get called up during the year, and otherwise, at the end of the year, they're free and clear from this guy. That's actually one of the things I like about Holland's approach is all the one-year deals. And in some cases, he's gambling that at the end of that year, this player is going to be worth a lot more, and if they want to keep him, they're going to have to pay a lot more. But he's opening up for uh, for competition going forward, not completely blocking off the just... team with three- and four- and five-year contracts. Good point. I was just thinking, is Mike Smith the kind of guy that Shirelli would have signed for two years? Or three. Or three. Four. All right. Uh, Mike, uh, so James Neal, uh, what I did was, Bruce, I looked at kind of comparable players to him. I found about 35 guys. Oh. They're players like um, Chris Kunitz, Ryan Smith, Rick Nash, Troy Brower, Ryan Clough, Owen Noland, Jerome McGinley at the upper end, Daniel Clary, Nick Antropov, uh, Jason Chimera at the lower end. So these are big Big, uh, aggressive, somewhat skilled wingers, um, sometimes really skilled wingers. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to see how they do um, after the age of 30, first mm -hmm. of all. And then I wanted to see how many of them had bounce back years. How many of them actually had a decline in production, like Neil yeah. had this dropped off a cliff last right. year, and then actually were able to bounce back. So what you generally see is, um, let's go to this chart. Um, this group of players, 35 power forwards in the NHL, they had their last kind of productive season, near peak, kind of near peak, but productive season where we were glad to have them on your team right. at age 33. Mm -hmm. So Neil this year is 32, and uh, he, he'll be 33 next year. So on average, this group of 35 players are, are okay players till they're 33. Now, some of them, though, you know, there's about um, a third of them drop off mm -hmm. below the age of 33. That's why the average is 33. Right. So <laughs> Neil could be in that group sure that doesn't could. bounce back. Most of them fade gradually over time. Mm -hmm. um, from, the best of the from the best of them to the worst of them, most kind of have a, a gradual decline in pr productivity. Um, the ones who have fallen off a cliff, there are a few of them who have bounced back. Um, Dustin Brown being uh, really Solid example. He just didn't have one three bad, bad three, three or four bad years, and now he's had two good years in a row. Mm -hmm. Eric Cole had quite a bit of up and down mm -hmm. um, as he was going through his 30s, you know, and he had his last good year at, at 35. You know, he had almost 0.6 point, points per game at 35. Um, Owen Nolan got banged up, was out of the league for a year. 
um, injured and he had a really good year. He came back and had a strong year or two. Um, Alexander Burroughs, Thomas Holmstrom oh. of Detroit, really interesting career. And I think he almost discovered another role. He was used differently. He was, I think, used as a third line guy, not on the power play through his late 20s. And then all of a sudden, when he gets in his mid 30s, he's suddenly out on the power play and was on mm -hmm. a higher line and he goes to a point seven. Uh, he also got promoted to the line with uh, Zetterberg, Zetterberg and Datsuk. He gets he gets that chance and he makes the most of it. So I, I remember him being interviewed on uh, on an intermission one time, and they they asked him how how does the line work. He says, "Well, uh, Pavel passes to Hank, Hank passes to Pavel, and I look after the scrums." <laughs> hey, and maybe James Neal does that. Leon passes mm -hmm. to Connor, yeah, Connor yeah, passes yeah. to Leon, and I look after the scrums. That's like, what Lucic's job should have been. Yeah, but he didn't have the hands, Milan Lucic, in mm -hmm. the end. Like he just didn't have the dexterity mm -hmm. to play that role. Like Chase on suddenly gets in that role and he starts scoring, right? Mm -hmm. um, so Neal could be that guy. He could get in that Thomas Holmstrom role. It's going to take some redefining of his game. He's got to think about it. He's got to think about how he's going to play. Uh, pick his spots a little bit more. He's not that winger anymore. Like a, when I think of James Neal, I think of the winger burning down the wing, and from the top of the circle beating a, beating a crappy Oilers goalie with a really good shot, but one mm -hmm. that a decent goalie would have. That's what I think of James Neal. But I don't think he's that player anymore who bursts down the wing for that goal necessarily. Still got the wicked shot. I but he still has the wicked unless shot. Unless his hands have done it, unless they've turned to stone the way. Which just happens. Lucic did, you know, but uh, uh, that, the bounce back is the question. Now, what I would expect, the normal curve, if he's, you know, he's sloping down, he takes a dive, he should come back, but probably at a lower level than what he was before. Yeah, so... You know, rejoin the curve in sort of a normal space. So a point every second game uh, would be okay, but if he can get like point, .5 per game points, that would mm -hmm. be good, and I mm -hmm. think he can get there. Like, But I have to say, after doing that survey, like kind of a back of a, it's not you know high science here, it's right. back of the envelope survey, I was a little less optimistic, yeah. quite honestly. Like you, you know, when you look at these players, when the vast majority have that drop, they don't come back. That's that's part of the drop. So uh, hard see. to visualize four years, isn't it? Which yeah. is what he's still got to run on that yeah, contract. Yeah, you could just think of Thomas Holmstrom. Thomas Holmstrom. If you keep yeah. repeating that name. Mm -hmm. All right, Dave Tippett, Bruce. He gave some indications of the team for this, uh, what he'd like to see. And he talked about having pairs of forwards. We've heard that from McClellan in the past, building lines around pairs mm -hmm. of forwards. And he talked about three specifically, Dreisaitl and McDavid, Nugent Hopkins and Neal, and Marcus Granlin and Josh Archibald as penalty killers together, but maybe also on the same line. So what do you make mm -hmm. of that? Uh, that's. I think that's fairly common uh, approach these days. I mean, the Oilers ran with pairs way back in the days of Wayne Gretzky and Yari Curry and Mark Messi and Glenn Anderson, Anderson yeah. that they had a consistent two guys that always played together. The third wheel kind of came in and went out and they, you know, both lines went through a number of winger, good wingers, uh, but they always had that same basic twosome and, that, and, and worked off of them. And, I mean, it's a proven uh, approach. The Oilers' problem last year is they only really had three bona fide top six forwards. So how do you build two lines out of that? I'm a little concerned about a second line mm -hmm, built still. around R&H and Neil, honestly. Yep. Like, R&H, Ryan Nugent Hopkins is a good player. 
he's not a great player, in mm -hmm. my view. He's never been able to drive a line. Like, and I think that's a fair comment. He's always been really good working with Taylor Hall, uh, working with Connor McDavid. I like him as a complimentary player. But if you're looking at someone who's going to get the puck, take it end-to-end, -end, or drive the puck around the offensive end, I just, I, I've never seen that kind of dominant streak or domination, or actual performance from RNH as, mm -hmm. a, as an offensive player. He's a good offensive player, but I don't think he drives the line, and I'm worried about him with Neil, if Neil's not very fast. And then who else, like Chase on? If you had Chase on and Neil with Nugent Hopkins, I don't see that working, two slow wingers. So I think he's gonna need, like I, I just wonder about that combination period, Neil and RNH, uh, whether they're gonna work or not. And um, you know who are you gonna put with them? So I do like the idea of Grandlin and Archibald on a checking line together, like they have to find a center, but there's there are lots of candidates, mm -hmm. maybe not any really great ones, but I like that. The idea that they really are going to get this fast, somewhat skilled checking line on the Oilers because I don't think we've had that in a while, um, you know, since the days of Pisani and uh, Morrow and Stoll, or who was on that line? Uh, well, Pisani, Morrow, and Morrow, Marchant, and Greer is certainly the you know the MGM. Yeah, line. There you go, go back to yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Who was with Pisani? Who did he play with? He's more of the second line guy. Yeah, he Stoll, played. Stoll, and and Torres, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, no, it was Torres played with Pekka. Uh, I have to oh, I have to re, yeah. re uh, calibrate. Okay, uh, Chris Russell on the left side. What do you think of that? Because that's what the coach also talked about. Well, preferably. I mean, the issue with Chris Russell is that he's either playing right side on the second pairing and a little bit, um, uh, uh, maybe a little higher notch than you'd want him to be. Uh, I'd say above, above his pay grade, except for really that is his pay grade. So the, the other alternative where he's playing three lefty, all of a sudden now he's a very, very uh, well compensated for a third pairing role. I mean, in theory, he's a 4-5. In theory, he's been a 4-5 ever since Edmonton got him. But in reality, he's been a 4 about 90% of that time that he's been playing in the top four, uh, usually on the right side. And I think playing the right side, I mean, hats off to a guy that's able to switch back and forth. That utility infielder type of player is valuable on any roster. You've got to have at least one guy who can do that. But I think it also uh, magnifies his weaknesses, which is uh, not quick enough puck movement, uh, not um, uh, and when you're on your backhand, you know the ability to make a, a clean pass is just that much tougher. And he more often defaults to what I call the punt, you know, just lob the puck out of the zone or off the glass and out, and you know, uh, you got it out, but you turn it over. And so you'd rather have uh, uh, a little more positive puck movement. And I don't think he'll ever be um, confused with a great puck mover, uh, but I think you're a little bit more efficient on the left side if they can actually get him over there and keep him there. That's always been the issue. It's been yeah. tried and it's just never stuck because they've always had more need. lefties than righties. Yeah, out of need. And it's not like his, it's like, like, I don't know if he's volunteering or not. Maybe he's a good guy and does volunteer, but it's like, Good for him, like that he can go over there and, and give that a go. I wonder though, if maybe a, a Nurse or Caleb Jones might be better on the right side of Jones, this point. Jones has a, a fighting chance because that's where he played all last year and he played pretty effectively. Yeah, and uh, he's Mind really you, as an NHL rookie. Uh, that's a tall ask. I wonder about Nurse. Like I, I 
Because I think the superior skating could really help. Last year, Nurse and Rus- uh, Russell were a pair, and it was almost always Russell on the right. I know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, don't. maybe maybe they should try it, but That's maybe maybe typical yeah. try something different that way. But let's move on to the final item of the agenda, Peter Shirelli. So when I first heard the rumor, it came from um, well, the first time it was actually stated as a rumor per se, like this was happening, um, not just something that might happen, was from a Minnesota TV reporter, um, and uh, Schwartz is his name. What's his first name here? Um, Dave Schwartz from the NBC Minneapolis affiliate. And this was a day after, two days after mm-hmm. um, the firing. And he reported that um, that uh, Shirelli was, this guy's saying, sources say that a possible candidate is Shirelli. Mm-hmm. And I just, I couldn't believe it. Like, I, so I had to go, in, like, who is this Schwartz? Like, is this real? Like, does this guy have any credibility? But no, he covers the team regularly. He was at the press conference when Fenton got fired. He's presumably in a position to know something. So I, I took it at that kind of face value. Okay, here's someone who's on the scene. Mm-hmm. He's talking to people behind the scenes, and he's saying this. So this is worth some attention because it just sounded so... I was flabbergasted. Yeah. I, I, like, that's the that's how I was. Like, come on. Peter Shirelli was fired in Boston because the cap got out of control. Now, the best thing you can say was, well, he had a ton of success, and he's learned his lesson. He's learned his lesson. He's going to come to Edmonton, and he's going to have his pen's going to be that much sharper. He's negotiating. He's going to know he's. This is people are watching your negotiating skills. Mm-hmm. He comes to Edmonton, Bruce, and in deal after deal after deal, he gives too much, a little bit too much money, a little much term, or gets back a little not, not quite enough in the trade, mm-hmm. or it's a major, major bungle. And at the top of my own personal list. For many people, it's Tater Hall and Adam Larson. My own list, the the, the top of the list by far, it's the Milan Lucic contract and the Griffin mm-hmm. Reinhardt trade. Um, take the cake for me. Okay. And then in the last year, uh, it's just two an more endless candidates. list. The Go Ryan, ahead. The Ryan Strom trade out, not the one that brought him in for Everly that a lot of people didn't like. At least in that case, the Oilers brought in something they needed, a right shot centerman who could anchor the bottom six, which is basically what Ryan Strom did and continues to do for New York Rangers, for whom he scored 18 goals after the trade last year. And they just got rid of him and brought in uh, an equally expensive uh, winger who wound up getting sent to the minors, traded to Vancouver, bought out, and now he's going to play in Europe. I mean, it was it was just a, a hopeless uh, misread uh, by the scouts. So that was a bad contract that New York Rangers signed last summer that he took off their hands. And then there was Brandon Manning, who was a bad signing by Chicago Blackhawks last summer that he took uh, off with their hands in a, in a hopeless trade of, uh, you know, just had no positives really going terrible. for it at all. That, that extra year on Manning's contract is such a killer. Yeah. You know, eh, the Koskinen deal, he and, gave too much term and money on and... Mm-hmm. Yeah, he just failed like every signing this year. Reader, Brodziak, they just, well, he just, well, even he just couldn't identify players that were useful. The extensions to Drake Kajula and Matt Benning at $1.5, $1.9 million for, for sort of second tier players coming out of their entry level contract, they were just richer than they needed to be. Like those guys certainly deserved contracts, they deserved a raise, but they didn't deserve necessarily a doubling or, or more of their 
yeah, like, level contract. Like, what, what did Drake Kajula do to earn a two-year deal at 1.5? It could have easily been 1.1 1. 1 or 900,000, you know, and it just wasn't. It's like, oh, we got to get him signed. What does he want? Okay. Yeah, because you know. what's he going to do? Like, yeah, what's, exactly. He's got, they have no, no options. They like, have no the, options. The they played hardball with Nurse. The one guy they shouldn't have played hardball with, they played with, with Nurse. That's they should they have signed, no money left. They should have signed Nurse oh. to a deal. Like, if they could have got it anywhere around $5 million, like any, any with a four at the front, would have been brilliant on a long-term deal with Darnell Nurse. But they just they just were so reluctant to do that. Well, Samuel Girard, uh, is, he's not a real good comparable for Nurse in a lot of ways, but in some ways he is. Like, he just finished his entry-level contract, has a very promising uh, young defenseman, and they signed him to a seven-year extension of $5 million per. The Oilers bridged Nurse, and now when they do sign him to an extension, it's not going to be for any $5 million. Do you, I, Like, we don't know. Maybe Nurse was going to say, no, I'm going to bet on myself. I just want to sign short-term. We don't. We, this is what we don't know. So, no, I think he, But if they had said, okay, five, we're going to give you 5.1 or 5, right. I think they could have got him. Anything with a 5, I think they had him yeah. on a long-term deal. And now. It, it would have might have been shocking to some Oiler fans to see Nurse sign that. There would have been lots of screaming, like there was complaining about the dry saddle contract. But yeah. it's a contract where people complain in the first six months, and then yeah. for seven years they think, wow, did you ever get a good deal there? Welcome to the new NHL. I mean, everybody seems to get overpaid because the cap just keeps rising and yes. rising and rising. Yeah. And there's a ton of examples of, you know, of... of when guys do resign on other teams, you're going, holy cow, that guy got that much. And, uh, so to give Shirley some mm-hmm. credit, because he always mm-hmm. gets shit on. Yeah. Okay. Um, the Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisettle, and Oscar Clefbaum contracts were all Peter Shirley contracts. Yes. He, he, uh, the trades for Cam Talbot, Patrick Maroon, and Zach Cassian were, and the signing of Chris Russell of that first one-year deal, were all great moves that year. And they were, they were responsible for the orders getting partly responsible for the orders getting 102 points mm-hmm. and making it almost to the uh, the uh, third round of the playoffs. One game within that, you know, Shirelli was executive. Of, he was in the finalists for executive of the year 2016-17 for a reason. He made some good moves mm-hmm. that year, and it's easy just to say, well, we should have fired him after that first year, the second year, like they did oh. with Fenton. But he, he had just been, he was one of the finalists, and he had made moves. Uh, even the Larson trade in the first year, there was like an 85% approval rating when we did a cult of hockey poll. 85% said the Oilers got a win out of that trade. That's, that's not to say that the Devils didn't get a win out mm-hmm. of that trade as well, even in that first year, although Taylor Hall was hurt that year. But the, the, the vast majority of Oilers fans thought the Oilers also got a win out of that trade. Now, Larson's last they two years have been underwhelming. And and it's it's frustrating as an Oilers fan to see that like he hasn't improved. He didn't build on that first year. He's gotten a little worse. He's been banged up, and the rules changed, and this and that, that and the other thing. So it doesn't. Maybe it's it looks like New Jersey will probably get a win. They did get a win one year out of that deal. Oh, for sure. The other two years he's been banged up, which is kind of par for the course with Tater Hall. But with Adam Larson, the, the, it's hard to say the Oilers are getting a win, have gotten a win out of it at this point. Maybe this year Larson will surprise us all. He's got two years left on his deal to make it a win for the Oilers, and fingers crossed on that one. So that's why it's not my most hated of all mm-hmm. deals, because of, well, of that return on the trade. Uh, and I put the Griffin, Reinhardt, and the Lucic things in a different category. Well, the Lucic one, is the puzzle there is that 
When Charlie came to Edmonton, he he made extremely clear that he wanted the team to be heavier. He said heavy, 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 heavy throughout his press conference about 20 times. Hard on the puck. That was another one of his favorite words. So then he goes heavy out. Stick. Yeah. yeah, he goes out in his first year and he trades for uh, heavy winger Zach Cassian. And then he trades for heavy winger. Patrick Maroon. He's got both those guys under contract for about a million and a half bucks each. And then he goes out and signs Milan Lucic oh. on the first day of free agent. Seven years, six million. Like, he was like covered totally, in such a nice he, way. He'd already sort of covered off that aspect and then he went and did that. And that was the that was the the really puzzling part. And in, now Lucic, when again, when you look at the comparable players to him, most of them don't crap out at 28, like yeah. have their last peak year. That's the worst kind of scenario for that kind of player. Well, he was it. He turned out to be it. Like you could have reasonably expected, you know, he, he'd get to be 30 or 31 right. before he fell off a cliff like he right. did. But that that was a possibility. It was always a possibility, and that's what happened. Well, he already had like 800 games plus 100 playoff games under his belt before he got yeah. here. There was a lot of mileage on that odometer, you know, even at age 28. And the Griffin Reinhardt trade, I, I mean, I really didn't like it the day it happened. Mm -hmm. uh, when Reinhardt got here, I, I, I started to warm up to the player a little bit, but I didn't like the trade the day it happened because I always thought the Oilers overrated that player as, as an organization, and, and that's proven to be true in the end. So uh, let's just leave it there. I like the player, but like, the price was like a in that draft. Well, that's a, that's another example of Shirelli. Like if you if you had paid a second and a third for Reinhardt, that would have been maybe an overpayment, but it, you could defend that maybe. It, that would have been, even in retrospect, you'd say, well, you know, second and third picks are, are pretty iffy bets, and, mm -hmm. and Reinhardt was a somewhat iffy mm -hmm. bet, but... Okay, so the Wild, what do you make of them doing this? What does it say about the NHL that he got an interview, even? Do you, do you think that's horrendous, or do you think it okay, makes sense, or...? Yeah, he actually got an interview, right? Yeah, that's like what, that's what just, so the, the uh, Mike just, Russo of The Athletic is now reporting. Okay. He got, Shirelli got an interview. He's one of the two people, Hextall and Shirelli, who've gotten interviews. And I just find it like, well, I was flabbergasted when I heard him. I'm astonished still that he would get an interview. I would just say, really? Yeah. Like, I mean, why? Normally, I mean, just think of what happened when Shirelli got fired here. And the immediate speculation started was sort of, who are the last five GMs fired by other NHL teams? Let's list those guys as possible candidates yeah. and list four or five other guys like Paul Fenton or Steve Tambellini that were assistants in other organizations who are bubbling under and, and throw in a wild card in there and, and let's go with that. Uh, um, and so it didn't surprise me to hear his name thrown out there. It's almost boilerplate um, speculation. But to hear that he actually got an interview... Because, I mean, sure, he's still a Stanley Cup winning GM, and he's always going to be able to wear that ring. And he, uh, and he, but, yeah, he made some but, good moves in Boston, some bad moves, some good moves, like Paul and I'm, I'm shocked. That, uh, I thought if any NHL team would touch him, it would be as an uh, advisor, as some kind of assistant, or maybe nothing at all for like two years, and then maybe he sort of, Gets his name back in there like well, Dave Tippett. Did, I'm starting to know? wonder what he brings, honestly. Like because the, the modern NHL GM, it's so much about negotiation. Yeah. It is so much about handling those contracts right, getting mm -hmm. that aspect of it right, and getting the right amount back in trades. And he just seemed to get worse and worse and worse at that at his time in Edmonton. Maybe he was never good at it, but I mean, like I, like I said, there was a few good 
well, long-term like, contracts. The eight-year deals on the stars was uh, was uh, huge. But by and large, there was and, just and some rebuild, vastly rebuild of the minor league system. Yes, you know, I fair mean, enough. it's not like he didn't did absolutely nothing, but the the bad outweighed the good. And here we are, four years later, wondering. What would have happened if Ken Holland had come to Edmonton in 2015 instead of now? Well, maybe he's a, like a director of player personnel type. Like if he's, that's what he was in Ottawa. And yeah, maybe maybe player. that's the maybe that's the job that mm-hmm. that he should go back to at the NHL level because he he's the Peter Principal. I you wind up going to back to that. the job that you uh, yeah he might be good at that. <laughs> so St. Louis maybe that's what maybe they're gonna you know. I don't fault anyone for talking to anyone, though. Like, mm-hmm. if they want to get their opinion from Peter Shirelli, maybe they're going to learn something yeah, valuable learn about. Something, yeah. Um, yeah, you made so. that point before. I think even when they hired Shirelli, they hired him so darn fast at the time they didn't yeah. really get a range of options, and they just went with the gut and went right after, uh, uh, right after Chia Pete, right off the hop, and yeah. I don't know. I don't get it, and I don't think it's going anywhere. I'd be shocked. Like I've been, no, I'm already been flabbergasted. Now I'll be shocked if he gets hired. But. They're doing him. I mean, his son works for the Wild, uh, and maybe it's just sort of the old boys' club writ large, like the NHL, the 200 hockey man. Yes, that's saying, a real thing. You know, we'll just throw his name out there and and, you know, and keep his name in the news. We're not really serious about hiring, but we're going to sort of show the. But I I think his name is toxic enough at this point that I'm frankly surprised a that they interviewed him b that word got out because uh, it's uh, his record in Edmonton is uh, and to go uh, back full circle on mm-hmm. this like to the positive comments about Holland mm-hmm. you know we're since the Lucci trade some of the like Greg Wyshynski of ESPN Ryan mm-hmm. Lambert of Yahoo Sports people who always just attack the orders it's like it's they wake up in the morning they attack the orders they go to bed they go to bed they wake up five minutes later they attack the orders well, they just do it constantly <laughs> but they've said some positive it's things red, about it's the red orders. meat David I mean the orders record has been a very attackable fair enough fair know. enough but some people do it more than others mm-hmm. the people who have done it the most mm-hmm. is what I'm saying have been yeah. making some positive comments about wow. the orders and and uh, uh, Craig Button is another example of that, a little mm-hmm. less than those other two. But it's interesting that uh, I think from um, that Holland's work is being recognized, even by the Oilers' biggest critics, is kind of like, yeah, he's not, he's done okay, which, which is interesting and which is really necessary. We need better work at GM at the GM, and not just in terms of PR, but in reality, we need better work. And I think we have seen that this summer. Yeah, well, it certainly he was hamstrung by the situation he took over, by uh, the salary cap situation, by the fact that all the big money guys, good and mediocre, were locked up for, for several years on end. There was just very little room to maneuver. And the Lucic for Neil de- deal is uh, uh, the real Neil, real deal Neil deal, was uh, 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 almost revenue neutral, you know, depending on how you work out the future costs. What it does is it provides so much flexibility. And That's it the main out thing. From under yeah. uh, some of the more onerous aspects of the Lucic contract, which was you couldn't really buy it out. The guy you couldn't send the guy to the minors, which they can do with Neil. Uh, you had to protect the guy against the expansion draft, which they don't have to do with Neil. They have options. I mean, option A is Neil recovers his form and scores 20 goals, and he continues or 25 goals, and he continues to be an Evan Oiler. In 2020, 21, but 
In a worst-case scenario, they buy them out and they save close to $4 million against the cap and use that in the immediate short term. It does have a long-term lingering implication if they do that, so it's not first choice, but at least it's doable. With literature, it was impossible. Oh, Broberg just scored a big goal against Canada. Oh, yeah? You, you know, the funny thing is um, they're trying to convince themselves, Bruce, in Calgary, that he's a that Lucic is going to be a good defensive player for them, and and I'm trying to like then then they're giving me all their numbers and I'm mm-hmm. not going to go on my rant about Corsi numbers but they're giving me all their Corsi numbers and on ice he, numbers. He's a good possession player. Yeah, he has, he has, he has. <laughs> anyway, if they think Lucic is going to be a good defensive player, well. Let them think that. We'll, they, they will learn the hard way. Now, I hope I'm wrong. I hope Milan mm-hmm. Lucic cranks it up. But, man, I saw mm-hmm. such weak defensive play this year. It's another reason. Like, It, it was my one hesitancy like, I, in terms of whether he was going to stay with the Oilers or not. Like, I do think he can help a team in terms of toughness and grinding it out on the fourth line. But, man, his defensive play had me worried. And, and, and so he's mm-hmm. got to wake up Like, in terms of like what he's thinking about as a player. Make it your number one priority, Milan Lucic, not to hit, but to stay on the right side of your check in the defensive zone all the time, all the time, all the time. And if you do that, I think mm-hmm. you st- he still can help uh, an NHL team because he is a tough son of a gun. So, yeah. Well, I mean, we talk about possession stats as as one proxy of uh, the Corsi, but when when you dig a little deeper, uh, like the scoring chance project that that we work on. Or the things like Dangerous Fenwick that uh, boys at Puck IQ have been working on. But his ex goals uh, was those, good. Those numbers are a little bit more depressed. No, his ex goals were actually pretty good. goals were yeah. all right. Yeah, but, at least they were on yeah. one of the sites I looked at. But, I know but, it's got but not as not as positive as his Corsi appeared to be. Like the quali- shot quality at both ends was not what you'd like with him. All right, let's leave it there. Good luck right. to Milan Lucic. Good luck to the Calgary Flames. Uh, yeah. Good luck on your arena, Calgary. Looks kind of like a, the early drawings, kind of like a souped-up superstore, Bruce. Uh-huh. Not very impressive, but uh, maybe they can. Uh, maybe uh, maybe it'll be all right for them. I'm glad. I'm glad they got an arena deal that they seem to be happy with. Uh, at least the majority of Calgarians. So. Uh, yeah, there's a little bit of pushback, of course. But well, there's lots of unhappy people with the process. But, uh, that, there's that's always going to be that. Thanks for talking. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.